Hello and welcome to another Pinchcut Opera podcast in anticipation of Charpentier's The Pleasures of Versailles. Genevieve Lang is my name and it's always a pleasure to be here with Erin Helliard, the Artistic Director of Pinchcut Opera, for his insight and intellect. And you'll just have to pardon, we are deep in the bowels of the Pinchcut Opera office, which if you don't know is hosted at Opera Australia, and it sounds a lot like someone is building a set upstairs. That's right. Erin, <laughs> The Pleasures of Versailles. They came out of an idea that uh, Louis XIV had. He he effectively wanted to stage tiny desk concerts or like house concerts, didn't he? What was he doing? I like that description because, yeah, the NPR tiny desk concerts, such a success. That's exactly what this was. So it's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, First of all, Charpentier is a really interesting character. He was sort of always the bridesmaid, never the bride in in French Baroque culture. That bugger. Lully. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that, as well as various other things, was very tricky at court around the Sun King. So the Sun King, Louis XIV or Louis XIV, one of the most uh, famous monarchs in Western Western history. And uh, Lully, of course, was the favourite of Louis XIV because he'd grown up with Italians. You know, when he was a kid and he wasn't king, um, the effective leader of France was Cardinal Mazarin, who was an Italian, and he brought Italian opera to France for the first time in the 17th century. So Louis would have grown up with Italian music. He was conditioned into it. Exactly. And so when he was trying to find the person who was to create French opera, who did he look for but an Italian? And that was Lully. Now, Marc-Antoine Charpentier was not Italian, even though he did travel to Rome and he did some wonderful studies and um, his time there really flavours his music with... uh, with this wonderful um, lightness and transparency and theatricality that, that is missing from a lot of native French composers who didn't travel. Um, in any case, poor Charpentier really wanted to get a plum job at court and didn't, so he was always on the periphery. But what's interesting is this particular program that we're doing at Pinchgott Opera is one of these little petit opera, that's what he called them, little operas, that he wrote, and they were destined for the apartments of Louis XIV. Um, now, when we think, I like to think of him sort of putting on his tracky dacks, you know, <laughs> it's Netflix, you know, you're home from a hard day at court, Basically, I I have this vision of him sitting in his bed watching all this happen, but of course that's not what happened. It was highly formal. There's a wonderful quote of a contemporary who said, "Um, even if you're 100 miles away from Versailles, you would know exactly what the king is doing if you had a clock and an almanac, which was a calendar of the king's activities. Every minute of Louis XIV's life was uh, planned in advance. Oh, interesting. So it was very formalised. But I do like to think that this moment when he sat down to watch these operas was a little moment of informality, a welcome respite from the the, the, the formality at court. A um, bit of pizza and Netflix. Exactly, yeah. So that's what they are. They're all about 20 minutes long. There's quite a few of them. And we're presenting uh, in this, we're presenting two of them. The first one is actually called Le Plaisir de Versailles, The Pleasures of Versailles. And it's a cute little story about all the pleasures that were to be had at Versailles. And of course, the leading lady is music herself. But the uh, her rival is conversation or gossip or talking and so this is in our production the wonderful Cathy Dijang who our audience would know from Plate mm. and La Musique herself is the wonderful Lauren Lodge Campbell who herself oh, yeah was a um, one of the young artists with Les Arts Florissant uh, Bill Christie's group in France. So it's a wonderful casting. Anyway, music and conversation just have a big fight about which one is better. The God of Feasts, 
who's David Greco, Comus, comes in and tries to placate conversation with chocolate and he tries to placate <laughs> music with marzipans and sweets. Comfort eating. Comfort eating, like. exactly. That, that still doesn't calm them down. So gambling or the god of games comes in and he tries to do some tricks and placate them. Nothing will happen. Finally, there is a... Um, uh, a, a truce is sort of announced between the two characters and everything is forgiven and they all sing this wonderful little chorus to Louis who's watching this. So it's a tiny, beautiful, silly little, it's the length of a Netflix episode, it's about 20 minutes and we're pairing it in this uh, this stage production. So the wonderful thing is we're doing this lightly stage production with Shannon Burns who is a wonderful choreographer and director as well and our uh, wonderful colleague Mel Leitz is giving, just animating the stage with some beautiful props and imagery and we're in some costume elements. And I'd like to think this is exactly what Louis XIV would have seen. Slightly improvised, very fun, very diverting. It's a wonderful night out. Before we get to the second work, which I want to ask you about, um, just coming back to Louis XIV, would he have had some kind of stage set up in his space? Was there, was there room for the musicians? How did it actually work in his Salon. Well, we know that he had um, musicians uh, in ordinary and musicians in extraordinary, as it were. Translate, um, please. Yeah, which just means <laughs> that some of them were the people who would like play at court, and then some of them were much more intimate. They would play in the chambers themselves with Louis and just his select courtiers. So that I'd like to imagine they sort of witnessed all sorts of goings on that Courtly maybe the other exactly that the mm. other court musicians didn't see so he did have chamber musicians literally who would play chamber music for him his version of turning on the radio you know um now we don't know the sort of situation of it was just called you know la grande fête pour les appartements de roi so that the the little feasts or the little celebrations in the apartments of the king those apartments I'd like to think my tiny 50 square meters in my Sydney apartment. It was not that. It was more like 200 square meters. Um, I don't think there was a stage, but I think they just set up chairs. Uh, certainly that's what the accounts seem to suggest. Little props. The singers came, did these 20-minute entertainments and then And left. all on the flat. We might all imagine the them in the corner of yeah. a, a fairly sizable room, but not yeah. with sort of... Yeah you know, all the infrastructure yep. around yep. them. Yep. But I think the, the key thing here is it was it was much more informal. And when you listen to the music, there are all these lovely little paeans to Louis. And in the operas, as some of our listeners might remember, there's often lengthy prologues in praise of Louis XIV, which go on for like, you know, 40 minutes. Oh, flattery will get you everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> but these just go on for like 20 bars. So they're just beautiful. It's really well-timed and um, perfectly poised. And... Um... When you look at the score of these works, what does it? What do they reveal to you? So it was a tiny. Those musicians I mentioned, those very, um, very high quality musicians who had very close access to the king. It was just basically a, two violins, two flutes, a gamba, a theorbo, and a harpsichord. And they were famous musicians like Marine Marais, who we mm-hmm. might know from from the film, the famous film with Gerard Depardieu. He would have been playing gamba. So wonderful instrumentalists and then the singers were also part of the inner circle and we think that Charpentier actually sang himself in this production so he was the god of gambling and he wrote in the score which is survives the names of the singers that he was writing for you know Um, Monsieur Charpentier and all these people and some of them were not professional singers but sort of ladies in waiting as well so very informal a bit like putting on a play for someone and what voice type was Charpentier he was an haute conte he was a high tenor Uh yeah so he sang in quite a a rare bird yeah well I think that it it was uh, rare for Europe certainly but of course that was that that was the kind of 
tone of voice that was cultivated in France at the time. And we're pairing it with another work that's actually in Italian. So we're doing Pleasures of Versailles. And then the wonderful thing is, as we mentioned earlier, Louis loved Italian things. So Charpentier also set, quite unusually, works in the Italian language. And he probably learnt this kind of skill when he was in Rome, studying with Carissimi. So we're doing a beautiful little tiny opera that again was done for the king. And it's the silliest plot, Genevieve. It's kind of like, (laughs) sometimes I'm at home and I think, do I want to watch a really heavy drama like Ozark? Or do I want to watch a light, fluffy comedy? And this is a light, fluffy comedy. It's so beautiful. It's in the Italian style. Um, It's just a bunch of shepherds and shepherdesses falling in and out of love. And they're all reconciled. And the name of the opera is Love Conquers All. Mm -hmm. And it ends with the most beautiful chorus, which just embodies that sentiment. And again, it's written for just five singers and those instrumentalists I mentioned. So really lovely small forces. And we're just bringing it to life in the spirit that I think it was composed in and meant for, which is frivolity, jollity, and it's short. They're short and sweet. You're in and out of City Recital Hall or Melbourne Recital Hall in about 70 minutes. So uh, time to enjoy your champagne or whatever you would like before and after, and it's just a lovely night's entertainment. So I've spent a little while now actually puzzling about the nature of love, like what is love? So I'm looking for enlightenment, Erin Hilliard, when I... (laughs) When I come and hear it performed, hopefully Charpentier can shed some light on that. And Erin, just before we wrap, um, I understand you've been to Italy just recently, haven't you? For the first time, Genevieve. I've never been. I'm 45 and I've never been to Italy. And it was just revelatory. It was like everything I dreamed Italy would be. And And actually, did you go to Venice? No, sadly, we didn't get time to go to Venice. Me and my partner, Russell, we went to Rome. Uh And then we went to Puglia, which is the heel of Italy. And it was just amazing. It was absolutely stunning, particularly Rome, um, because we sort of did all the touristy things. Um, And of course, I just grew up as a little kid in Gosford, looking at all these great masterworks in books and didn't realize the colors of Raphael's School of Athens, for example, just made me almost nearly burst into tears because mm. you can't do it justice on those, particularly those old reproductions from 1980s art books. Mm. So it was really thrilling. And I also went to Versailles for the first time. Aha, uh-huh, we come full circle. Yeah, so I've been to France before, but never had the chance to visit the palace at Versailles. And do you feel like that experience informed your understanding of the music? Absolutely. Look, it was extraordinary just to see. I, I you know, again, I've seen photos, but I didn't realize how enormous the palace is. I also didn't realize how enormous the gardens are. And it just got a real sense, you know, when you read accounts of the time, courtiers hated being stuck up at Versailles because they were far from Paris. Mm-hmm. They were far from all the pleasures of Paris. And so and it was, it was a, a duty to be there and you're sort of stuck. And you, I could get the sense of what isolation Versailles could give, but also the sense of diversions you could get. Like if things got too hard at court, you could go out to these amazing gardens, um, the the chapel connected, the opera house connected Versailles. I mean, it was an enormous complex. You know, mm. it's not like this tiny little mm. hunting lodge that it was originally. And it really is. It, it puts every other European palace to shame. You can see how every other palace that I've been privileged to see is basically a poor replica of Versailles. So that was really, really extraordinary. And um, unfortunately, we didn't have time to go inside the palace. So I wasn't able to see the rooms where we think these oh. tiny operas took place, sadly. Um, but... You know, that just makes me excited to see it next time. Yeah, exactly. And you'll bring a little bit of Versailles, I'm sure, to these concerts for Pinchgut Opera. 